And we are live. So today it's the much awaited uh, construction tech roundtable. Uh, we're doing this live across Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and thank you all for joining me here this morning. With uh, this roundtable, we're going to kind of go just around the table. We'll talk construction tech, what's being used today and in the field, and then where do we see really construction tech? Thank you for... So <laughs> hopefully we won't get uh, too much feedback here, but uh, with that, we're gonna we're gonna jump right in. Uh, all of our speakers' bios are in the kind of description here, so you can feel free to reach out. Um, they'll be tagged, so you can feel free to reach out to our speakers and you know learn more about them, what they're up to, and what they're doing. Um, just for for time considerations, <laughs> we wanna jump right in here. So Heather, we'll start with you and kind of what tech are you seeing today in the field and you know what's being being used out in the field that you've seen to be pretty useful and productive? Yeah, good morning, everyone. Um, thanks, Dylan. So I will say one of the biggest things that, um, I guess I should say, introduce myself. I work for a specialty contractor and one of the biggest things that we actually see out in the field right now is being able to use augmented reality. Um, we've been able to use it on a couple key projects. We've seen it to where there's this level of collaboration and communication from the architect to our BIM field, to our BIM team actually out in the field. Um, I see that as being a huge way for the specialty contracting world to be able to elevate ourselves to the next level, actually. Um, through that, we can actually get a huge ROI from the office environment as well as the field environment. Um, that is one of the biggest pushes I see where we're going right now. And then in the future, what I actually see is we'll be able to utilize artificial intelligence. Um, we're already starting to see it a lot in the apps that we've been using, um, whether it's apps that are associated with tools, or apps that are associated with any of our various um, using. So we're trying to be able to have a fully collaborative uh, BIM model that's elevated and produced out into the field so that our craftsmen can work at the highest efficiency possible. Awesome. Thank you, Heather. Nick, what are you seeing out in the field that's being used today for construction tech? Yeah, so I, um, I was gonna talk about a little bit about the mindset of prefab manufacturing, but I think the other panelists here are get on that a lot better than I will. Um, so just as a point of introduction, I work for a contractor association in the Southwest of the United States, especially drywall subcontractor association. Um, what I'm seeing right now that I, I think is gaining a lot of value is immersing an individual into their finished product. So we've heard of computer augmented virtual environments or caves or BIM boxes that we've seen around where you can bring an audience in, they can see what's in a headset or an individual can put on a headset. 
So I think when uh, they're finding a lot of value now in being able to utilize that in bringing owners, representatives in, or um, specialty subcontractors, different trades, so they can identify clashes. And maybe somebody who's not in the field or an office environment can get a real sense of a project before the project even breaks ground and um, kind of buy into the vision um, more so than just a 2D rendering. So uh, immersive technology would be my answer, Dylan. Awesome. Yeah. And we're, I mean, across all these fields, we're seeing more and more of this type of tech being introduced. James, what are you seeing in the field? <laughs> um, I mean, I just, I'm still like, I still like BIM. I don't think we even tap the potential of what it offers. Um, I think we get distracted by a lot of the other stuff going on and we haven't fully even realized the practicality of models. I mean, we architect makes one, the engineers make one, the contractors all make them again. Um, you know, I think there's still a lot there with, you know, using all the data that's inside of them. You know, we look at all these tech companies, Facebook, you know, YouTube, all of them and how much they, how much information they contain. And the model has so much information and the, the only thing we really use it for, I mean, there's obviously exceptions. I mean, I'm not saying everybody speaking in broad terms, I get it, but the, the main reason we use BIM is just to run stuff into other people's stuff. So people aren't occupying the same space at the same time. That's like a fraction of what it could do. So I think the BIM is still completely untapped in terms of what it can offer and the data that's inside of it uh, and everything else that it can can do from you know, clash detection, supply chain, tracking what's installed, running machines out in the shop. Each trade has you know, their handful of machines that the models can operate or data from the model can operate. So I think it's still completely untapped. Totally agree. And I think, uh, Frank, you're probably a good follow up for this and the, the usage of BIM and maybe what, what else you're seeing uh, being used today for tech within the, the industry. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, sorry for the delay there. I had to switch from one room to another. The, the, the frequency wasn't great for the Wi-Fi where I was at originally. So I'm in the living room now. <laughs> That's the awesomeness of the of the tech world today. Um, yeah, I think that uh, similar to what James mentioned that we haven't tapped into everything that you can do with him, but I want to second what, what Nick said that right now um, it's all about experiencing the space. Uh, we have all this technology in BIM. And unfortunately, a lot of companies are using BIM as a upgrade to CAD or a 3D CAD, uh, AutoCAD in that sense, because it's still CAD uh, configurated design. A lot of people are just drafting with it, are just creating uh, documents and are not really benefiting from the data that's in there. It's so rich in data, the quantification you can get. Yes, there's liability issues in between, but you can just have a smarter project altogether. And um, what I tell students, what I tell uh, when I'm doing a mentorship program is that you never go to a, you never go to a symphony and the orchestra shows you the music and says, um, and says to you, hey, uh, what do you think? You don't. You, you tell them, play it for me. We have all this technology around us, then why don't we play it for our clients? And that's what I tell everyone. I mean, it's, it's so great to have the model and have all the data in it, but every sheet should have some kind of 3D aspect on there to remind us, hey, this is in 3D. This has been coordinated. This has been flash detected. Um, and uh, so I encourage all of my team members to always they're like, oh, but I, I'm not ready for a rendering or this view isn't ready. Well, then the model isn't great. Make it ready. 
show it off every time, play it for the client. Don't expect them to just know plans because it's a daily conversation that we have. We feel so comfortable. We see a floor plan from far away. And we're like, oh, that wall's too close. It doesn't meet code. But for them, they're busy being a vice president of a company, human entertainment company, a hotel. And maybe looking at drawings is not the thing they do every day. And they may just look like a parallax effect. I mean, what's going on here? But they don't want to seem unknowingly, so they'll make a comment. Yeah, but they're really not getting the essence of your design yet. So I believe, like Nick said, we should create environments. That, there's a lot of things out there. There's a lot of products and companies that are dedicated to creating these environments. I think that we need to play it for a client. That's what I'm going to see in BIM. I think that hopefully we see a lot of more visualization. Be it in data, like James said, you know, maximizing the data and using it for the tools. There's company that print out. They're studs right now. They do all the walls in the field with a big spool of, of steel, and they make every single stud in the field with numbers. And all the walls, they don't have to bring a single stud to the field. So in, in gutters and in, in drywall cutouts and, and patching. So all that good stuff is happening. That's what I see in the future, that we will utilize the model more and more, not just a visual data tool, but experiential tool. Yeah, absolutely. And for everyone out there uh, watching, feel free to drop your questions um, and we'll get to them as we kind of go through here. Um, but Tahira, what are you seeing being utilized for construction tech out in the field today? Thanks, Dylan. I think that's a great question. Um, so a little bit of background. Uh, I'm Tahira Ali. I am the executive director of industry innovation for uh, NECA, the National Electrical Contractors Association. And uh, my job is essentially to help understand how new technologies, new ideas can change the way that we build, can change the way that we approach the industry. And I would say that one of the most impactful things that we're seeing today is the software and the solutions that really help with workflow, right? The ability to plan, the ability to predict, and the ability to really understand and document what's happening. And when we look at the way that construction is done, you know, everyone talks about every every building is an entirely new from the ground up prototype. But the truth of it is, there are a lot of best practices. There are a lot of things that we can learn from and we can capitalize on. And so the companies that are really starting to kind of push the envelope and get ahead are those who are utilizing data, those who are utilizing um, even just the ability to look at things like key performance indicators or standard operating procedures and, and using the technologies to not necessarily, you know, be flashy or change the way you do work, but first to even just capture the way that work is being done so that you can start to be able to, you know, gauge and manage and measure what does success look like? Are we getting faster? Are we getting, you know, more RFIs? Are we getting worse? What conditions are making things more, you know, riskier to schedule or, you know, how close are we coming into the bids? And so there's so much power out there and there's so many really exciting and flashy technologies. And I think at its core, just having the ability to be able to measure and manage the things that we're doing today is just so essential because it helps you to create a foundation for the cornerstone of what your future could look like. Yeah, that's such a great answer with, you know, everything going on. It's it's so important to, you know, collaborate, but to have that transparency across projects. And Dan, I think that's a good segue into to some of the stuff that, that you're working on. Um, 
what are you seeing um, today in, in the field for technology? <clears throat> so Danny come lately here, uh, Frank and James and Nick, you know, really put a, a, a really good summary of what's going on out there. I mean, so as so I lead uh, Weiss Drywall and a new company called Weiss Offsite, where we are transitioning and pivoting into um, prefabrication and prefabricated components uh, with Weiss Offsite and trying to incorporate those into our workflows. And so right now we're just in the infancy, really. So I'm, I'm based in St. Louis. You know, we're still trying to utilize truly everything that we currently are utilizing right now. Um, oftentimes, you know, we have our products on a multitude of softwares, depending on what the GC wants to use and operate. So we have to kind of become proficient at each one of those, which uh, has its own difficulties. Um, I know internally we use PlanGrid on a lot of our projects where, where we manage uh, documents. And, you know, just keeping up with new features, right? Rolling that out into the guys in the field and girls in the field, it's it can prove difficult sometimes just to make sure that everybody's on the same page in what we're doing. And so we're just continuing just educating, just continuing to educate, continuing just to get that experiential learning, uh, continuing to help provide a collaborative environment with our clients. Um, but it's hard, you know? And so just as we continue to go, it really is just, it's an education process of just making sure that everybody is updated. I think that brings up a really good question that, that will kind of go around the, the table here again is, you know, what, what problems do you see with technology, um, out, out in the field? Dan kind of, uh, elaborate on a few with just the education piece of it. Um, but I don't know, Dan, if you want to expand on that, we'll, we'll start you on, on this go around um, since you kind of opened up that door and then we'll, we'll go back through on, you know, maybe what problems we're seeing with technology in the field. And, you know, we've seen what we should be doing or what we're implementing today, but what are we seeing on the other side of that? What, what problems do we have and, and what are maybe some solutions for it? So, in relation to that, you know, oftentimes as a subcontractor, like I previously said, we have to rely on the general contractor all the time, you know, for many things, right? And so they always want their data and their information, right, where they want it, which is great. You know, I totally get that. But oftentimes it leads the subcontractors to being forced into a process that maybe we don't own or completely understand oftentimes. So that's one of the things that, you know, I see contractors are going to continue to do, especially when we talk about more prefabrication, right, is continuing to start forcing our own systems in place where we can, right? So that way we can become more internally efficient. And so that that just takes time, right? It takes a culture shift, you know? Um, so, you know, my grandfather started Weiss Drywall in 1971. You know, we were doing prefabrication back then as well in the seventies, you know, so it's a prefab and these things aren't new, but it's like, we have all these new softwares that we have to keep up. We have to continue to educate people. Uh, you know, like this year we have multiple employees that are going to be with us for more than 40 years. And so it's just, you know, we have a whole variety of education levels of adaption levels of adoption levels that it just takes a little bit. So we have to continue just to remember where people are at and where we're trying to take them. Go ahead, Nick. 
Yeah. So I just, I want to pile on it because it's right now. And I think that's one of the most important things that it just, it deserves another echo. And there's an assumption by, okay, there's a broad stroke, like James said, we're talking broad strokes, but technology comes into the construction industry and they just assume everybody understands. Oh, well, this is just the way you use it. You just roll it out. It's like your iPhone. We just grab it and we use it and it's great. And you'll save all this money. And in a sales pitch, technology is always perfect. But to a contractor, risk mitigation is the first priority, not understanding technology. So I think one of the biggest problems is the assumption that we understand, the assumption that the construction industry gets it and we're just waiting to use it. No, man, we're still putting sticks together that make a wall. And that's not to downplay it. That's the world we know and we're, we're professionals and we understand that trade. And now you're asking us to add to it. So. I think if we can change the narrative a bit and just understand that we want to be successful and we want to utilize this, but don't don't downplay us, but just understand that it's going to take a little bit of time. So I, I had to add it right there, Dan, because it's it's like obviously you see it's a little passion point for me because it's not that easy. Tech isn't easy to this industry. Yeah, and to hear, I mean, what are you seeing also, you know, from a, a NECA perspective and, you know, some of your uh, past experience in Milwaukee, what are you seeing on, on this point? I, I completely agree with the points that Nick and Dan made. And I think, you know, we we talk about, especially as technologists, we talk about these these grand ideas and how we can change the industry. And the the root core of it is this is a very people-oriented business. This is a very strong, uh, proud culture. And for a very good reason, you know, we look at this as the people we represent and those that we, you know, live and work amongst, they're, they're not just building buildings, they're not just building HVAC systems or, you know, putting up walls, they're building communities. And there's a lot of pride in not just how you do it today, but also the generational aspect, the fact that, you know, Dan even mentioned he's from a family business and so many contractors and craft workers come from that multi-generational mentality. And so, especially at NECA, the way we approach technology and innovation is, you know, it's not just one cookie cutter solution. It's not, I think, you know, it's been mentioned today, technology in this perfect bubble in this isolated way works a certain way or this envisioned state, but especially during my time at Milwaukee and my time at NECA, there's just, there's so much power in, creating a solution for people where they're at and for looking at things and how you can help people to innovate, help people to elevate their businesses and drive market share and, you know, increase their confidence in bidding and their accuracy and, and pull in the schedule by allowing them to make those incremental changes. So this is how we, we truly change the industry is by looking at the culture, looking at the mindsets and helping people to, position themselves to use technology and solutions that can help them achieve great change. And so when you think of something like, you know, you can't improve something that you're not measuring. So the first step there is how do you really understand and identify what you're working with today? And how do you understand and identify opportunities for growth or improvement, but especially that growth mindset? And that's something that's just as important as you know, you could have the best solution in the world, but if you you put it in the wrong hands, you put it in the wrong type of person or type of role or someone that might have the best intentions but be too busy 
then you're not going to succeed with, you know, implementing this change. And so it's having that change culture. It's having that leadership driven from within both, you know, at the entry level, at the, you know, the, the newest members of a company, but also at the leadership levels, at those who have the most experience. That's how you get true change to make, you know, the industry as a whole to drive construction forward and to really make that impact that's going to continue to resonate with us for years to come. Very well said. And I think, Heather, I think you'd be a great one to chime in on this as a director of community relations, you know, for, for Marm Brothers and how, you know, you know, Tahira mentioned that we're, we're not just building buildings, we're building communities, um, you know, with our, our people. But where, where do you uh, want to chime in on this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have a couple points on this. Um, actually, so Nick and I are part of SWACA's technology committee as well. And I think one thing that we really want to drive home as well is that a lot of times within the industry, we're getting technology just pushed on us and we have actually no insight. Oh, go ahead, Francisco. Your hand go up. What, what is SWACA? Oh, uh, SWACA is the Southwest Wall or Signatory Wall and Ceiling Contractors Association. So it's all of the signatory wall contractors who are across the United States. So it's similar to Nick is part of uh, WWCCA. It's the like mothership of all of those associations. And so we've actually gotten together and have started to collaborate with all of our um, competitors to try to develop and almost, um, yeah, develop different technologies and actually give different um, entrepreneurs insight into our industry so that we can push our industry forward. So from that perspective, I think, and also I know uh, Tahira is doing the same thing with Nika as well. Um, along those lines, um, which I think is a great way for us to be able to push the envelope. And then from a community perspective, it's it's difficult. You know, I, like in Los Angeles, we actually have a lot of things where we have local hire requirements and we are building within these communities, but it is difficult to uh, put that membership or the, the thought process of construction and have it create this diverse workforce. Um, it's not really, you know, for a long time, it's been a very Caucasian and Latin American um, workforce. And we're really trying to diversify and make it more integrated. And I think that's a really popular topic right now of how do you create these environments in these communities when you're creating a stadium and you're kicking everyone out who's lived there forever. You know, like, so we're creating these job opportunities um, because all the communities we build in, we plan on being here for another hundred years and we wanna make sure Los Angeles still keeps its same flair you know, for years to come. And so having all of this integration and community programs and being able to have them implement technology. That's, I think, one of the biggest keys that we're looking at for this year is how do you integrate technology in very novice construction workers? Does anybody in particular want to jump in on uh, kind of the end of Heather's? <laughs> I think something that's really important too to think about is, you know, we're living in this really powerful age where we have five generations in the workforce. And at the same time we have in construction, we have this huge labor problem. Like you talk to any contractor, one of the biggest challenges we have is how do we attract people, attract workers to this industry and how do we continue to drive talent into, um, you know, our workforce to continue to, to move our businesses forward in the future. And that's where, um, you know, to, to the points that Heather was making, 
what's really beautiful about construction technology, especially is that these new technologies, these new, new ideas are ways that we're able to bring uh, a diverse workforce, a, a way that we're able to bring um, stronger and, and more varied mindsets into the industry. And so it's no longer, you know, construction is a thing you do with brute force. Now construction is something that you can do regardless of your size, regardless of your gender, regardless of your background or skill set, because everybody can bring something to the table. You know, you, you're you're not just that traditional stereotype of of digging ditches. Now you're you're using BIM models. You're doing virtual reality. You're doing um, you know digital walkthroughs. You're doing ERP systems. You're doing machine learning. So it's uh, you know you're coordinating prefabs. So there's so many opportunities where people look at technology again as this solution or this thing that we should be implementing. But in a way, technology is is something that can, it can be a solution to workflow problems, daily problems that are existing, but it can also be a conduit to bringing, you know, more opportunities to the industry. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great point. And I think you know, James, you might be a good one to chime in on this with, you know, the, the increase in, in technology and how, um, you know, we're able to, to do kind of more through the industry and not just, uh, you know, being a guy that's putting up, putting up walls uh, physically, but also, also virtually. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the industry is like anything else. I mean, you kind of create your own opportunities. You know, I taught myself rather than things are in 2015 and have never I never formally worked for anybody in the BIM, BIM role kind of thing. I just learned two forms and you know just trial and error. So I think there's opportunities what you make of it. I mean it's like that in any industry. Not even just construction. I mean I think sometimes you know there's so many things flying around. I mean just go back to the and we lost him. <laughs> James is a connection it might be a little uh, a little low there, but uh, Frank, where, I guess in this technology conversation, what are maybe some of the, the problems that you're you're seeing come up, especially maybe on the design side where, you know, we've talked technology is not always the best and greatest solution in the world. Um, it can it can help us solve a, a ton of problems, but where, where are you seeing as maybe one of the things that people should look out for um, in implementing technology today? What we've seen a lot of people is, uh, I think, I, I can't remember who said it, it might have been Nick, who talked about like the iPhone and how these things are going to solve a problem for you. Uh, we have a lot of branches within a firm. In a larger company like HHCP, where I came from, uh, you have a, a business development person, a project manager, somebody that writes a contract. And a lot of times, uh, not blaming HHCP or any other firm, but a lot of firms did this at the beginning of BIM, where it was a sales pitch and they put it in as a contract and we do BIM or we do Revit and um, without fully understanding what they were offering or sometimes offered up bells and whistles to the clients without understanding what the deliverable or what the team could meet. Um, we, on the other hand, in Frankendesign, uh, we saw a lot of people Frankensigning projects together with all of the different data and why Frankenstein it where you can Frankendesign it to do silly, silly little catchphrase there. <laughs> but um, what, we, what we like to think about is We've been successful in breaking through industries. And um, I saw Heather, I, I've been doing a little scouting and understanding who I'm talking to here. And I saw that your background was KHSMS. Was that in the West Coast? Yeah, I, I was uh, with KHSMS for four years. 
Awesome. That's one of our partners. You guys do amazing stuff like uh, Star Wars and at Disney, whoever's been to Disneyland or Disney World. I've seen that. That was an amazing work. And um, I, I partner up with them. And, and, and uh, one of the things that, in that they, you would know from that industry is that the theme park world, uh, some clients are 100% on BIM. It's a requirement. Others have been burned by it because BIM was sold to them as a service. Okay. Some architects would say, I'll get draw the building, but if you want it in BIM, I'm going to charge you X amount of dollars more. And a lot of the clients were like, sure, it's going to save me a bunch of money. They didn't see the savings. And a lot of the, even worse, a lot of those same architects came back and say, oh, we're sorry. We can't deliver because we don't know how to put your attraction in this software that we told you was awesome. Now we're going to charge you more money because you allowed us to use this software. So a lot of the, you, you would see it in some of the contracts where it is a reaction to that bad dip in the, in the learning curve, where now they would say like, they don't want BIM. And you're like, in this day and age, you don't, you want me to draw this in CAD, really? And then you start learning, you start pulling back the, the, the peels of the onion and you realize, oh, this company or that company or this client was burned by this infamous BIM process. And now for them, it's like a cuss word. So what we were successful at is that we were just here to produce. You want drawings, you want to see your design, and you need something to be coordinated as to where everybody else is coordinated by uh, doing an export. That every Friday, the whole team does an export. So we're all coordinated because every Friday, there's an export. I'm like, um, the moment you hit export, that model is no longer coordinated. It's dead. It's a photograph. It's a picture in time. The next hour after you took that export, there's something different. It's no longer true unless we're all in the same environment on the, on the server or BIM 360 or other platforms they would also, because it's not only Autodesk platforms, there's microstations and others out there. Unless we're all in the same environment, the moment you send me something, it's out of date. And the, the, the success for us, and maybe I'm giving away our secrets here, but the success for us was we never sold our clients on there. We sold them on, we can get you the process you need. Uh, we can get you the files you need. The information it will be clearer because they'll ask us, why do these elevations look so pretty? Now I can tell depth of, you know, it's not only the line work, but there's depth viewing. And we're like, well, that's part of our process. But we were careful not to even say BIM because we would heighten, you know, the PTSD of some individuals that were burned because they spent a lot of money on IPD. They spent a lot of money on lean and, and it didn't turn out to give them the results. So what we do is that we don't sell them on the software or the process. We give you a product. And then they fall in love with the product and they find out that that's only because BIM is being done right. Um, I'm seeing comments also coming in from our, 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 our friends on LinkedIn. And, and one of the first ones that pointed out to me was in the topic of what we're talking about, uh, do you charge for additional time spent on drafting by Gilad Nahadi? I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. If you're spending more time drafting with BIM, uh, we need to have a conversation on training and, and uh, why, the reason why we use BIM is because it's 10 times faster. In CAD, we used to draw for a plan. We used to then elevate it, separate drawing. We used to then cut a section, separate drawing. Now those are all in one. I know I'm preaching to the choir here because you guys are familiar with what I'm saying, but if, if it's costing you more or you have team members on your team that are saying, oh, if you got to do this project on BIM, it's going to be instead of 80 hours, it's going to be 260 hours. That person doesn't fully understand the software. If you can't explain it, easy enough, you don't understand it. So uh, Gilad, if you could comment again or, or be more specific on your question, we would love to address that for you. All right. now, I, 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 I would be interested. 
I'm a little bit interested in something. So we have the BIM, the model, and then you get shop drawings that are created by a sub, and then those are printed onto paper, and then they're built and placed on site. So how, that's it. That's it. That's a stop stopping point of the the true source. Um, what what I mean? I what are you guys doing? How are, is it still the only just, place? The only place that I've seen. IPD integrated project delivery successfully implemented wasn't in a project that was even called IPD. It was called lean construction and it was for healthcare. The healthcare industry has figured it out. I was, I was very uh, lucky and, and uh, blessed to be mentored under an architect called Mark Gilman, who's still over at HHCP. And they would do, you, you said in the lead, in a lean L a L E A N lean construction. You can look it up. It's like an industry uh, standard. And you, you felt like you were in a shrine. Like they had bullet points. I thought I was in a lodge somewhere. I was just missing like some kind of hat or a medal or a badge. I mean, it felt like everything was like, okay, we're starting the meeting. Does everybody second this motion? And it was all very structured. But at the end of the day, what they did was that they brought all of the subs or the mean subs, because you don't need to bring the sub that puts the brackets to the ductwork, you don't need to bring that particular sub, but you bring the mechanical sub that's responsible for all of those individual trades below it. Then you bring in the GC who's responsible for the building. If you shake the building and it doesn't fall out, that's under the GC. And then you have the electrical sub. And they brought all of those in as partners in the deal with a budget that they were set to, and their profits went up with the least amount, the more, the less waste. We can have an entire podcast on lean construction, but the less waste is there on the project, the more each party has to gain. And there's all these clauses that if one project, one person is delaying the project, let's say mechanical, how that doesn't fall to blame on the rest of the team. But at the same time, there's something that's a common pool. But the cool thing about that, Nick, was that nobody, there, was, there wasn't the typical architectural structure where there's an architect joining the building, the architect has engineers that draw the building, sign and seal, and then those drawings have to be redone by a mechanical electrical. The architect and engineers were there as supervisors. So there is an engineer of record, but yeah. the drawings were produced by the company that is to install them so that they're ultimately responsible. And if there's a ductwork going through a wall, that mechanical company is responsible or that coordination. So that's the only place that I've ever seen that dream come to fruition where there wasn't shop drawings. The drawing itself that went to permit was the shop drawing. And it was right. amazing. And, uh, <laughs> and they, they made it work out to where it was efficient because just the amount of meetings you have to have for that kind of draws on the amount of, of production you have to have. But they had it structured to a point. So congratulations and, and shout out to the lean construction community because uh, that's the only place I've ever seen that happen. Everywhere yeah. else, it's the waste. Yeah. So redraw, 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 redraw. I will say I've, I've worked on a couple IPD projects before, and it's amazing how it adjusts the mindset of all of the major trades. You know, normally it's like, I'm going to put my walls in. I don't care where your duct is. And here's my profit. I'm hitting all my margins. And it changes the mindset. And it's like, we are all working for the same profit pool. And it's when it works, it works really, really well. But it's hard to change the mindset of all of the major trades to get on board. And it's just like the BIM process too. In order for just just creating a model to work right, you have to buy off on the idea. You have to go full fledged. But if you have people that are still just doing two D Revit or 
or BIMCAD, as we call it jokingly, where, where everything is just drawing and they're still just drawing stuff in 2D and not taking advantage. I've seen things where, where it's just a bunch of drafting views, which you have to have it when things are repetitive, but it's just a bunch of drafting views and it's nothing but uh, walls and plan. You go to the model, there's nothing in the model because they're not leveraging. They don't want to, they, they think it's too much work to build that up for what I need. But if they take the time to build it up, they're going to realize that it's going to pay up. It's going to have continual residuals for them. So the same way with IPD, you have to buy in and have a really good structure to make it work. For sure. I was going to say at, at your core, what you're looking to do when you're applying BIM, when you're applying an ERP system, when you're applying, you know, best practices with prefab, you're looking to eliminate waste. So you look at this from how do you eliminate waste? How do you, you know, reduce the amount of rework? How do you create, again, anyone can digitize, anyone can go paperless. You can go paperless just by putting everything in a notepad or an Excel file. It's about not just doing it for the sake of doing it, but what are you doing that will allow you to measure success? What are you doing that will allow you to look for improvements? And that's really where you can see a lot of power in these solutions. Like when you when you look at a robotic dog, are you applying it because it's cool technology? Are you applying it because someone gave you a grant or you got a discount to put it on your site? Or are you applying it, again, to eliminate waste, to eliminate a human person doing that specific operation? So the, again, you don't start with the solution, even if the solution is this idea of BIM or the technologies there, with, there within, you start with what are the major pro problems? What are the major pain points and how can we address these you know, like, is it is it rework? Is it communication between the trades? Is it having an accurate model at all times? You know, what are the things that truly can can make that pivotal difference? Because that's how you begin to increase your market share. That's how you begin to utilize your resources in the best way possible. Sometimes innovation is moving a porta potty. Sometimes innovation is moving a cart or giving every worker their own tool station. Sometimes innovation is kidding. But before you can get to kidding, you have to be doing, you know, prefab, you have to be doing BIM, you have to be doing planning. It's, it's again, it's about how do you empower the actual people who are, you know, putting a tool in hand, putting, you know, the structure together so that they are able to eliminate as much waste as possible so that you are driving, you know, just not just efficiency. Um, you know, a dear friend of, I think many of ours, he talks about how you can efficiently suck. You want to drive efficiency and you want to drive efficacy. So how do you have this efficacy so that you are being more productive and then therein also do that more quickly? Because you don't want to more quickly be inefficient or more quickly be unproductive. You want to more quickly get to the accurate way that you want things to be built or assembled or put together. I love that, Tahira. That's awesome. Well, I, you know, especially in the age of a pandemic, right? We have to be ever more conscious of making every step count and limiting, you know, starting to like, if we don't need two extra people on a site, they shouldn't be there. You know, I mean, so yeah, it's, it's that saving it's efficiency, right? And it's not just material, because oftentimes when we hear about waste, right, it's not just material. Actually, it's like, you know, most of it's time. And so, right. And so it's just like, we you know, in an age of COVID, you know, trying to protect workers, trying to protect people, trying to keep sites going, you know, it's, um, 
yeah, that efficiency. And that's where you're going to see, you know, BIM, that's where you're going to see all these plannings. That's where you're going to see all this execution of these plans come in way more handy in the coming years. And, and, oh, go ahead, Nick. So I, I and that's a, to kind of tie it to tech. And the, the focus of this is we just learned there's not a solution for everything by one entity. And I think the best success in is don't try to overhaul your whole company. Focus on that one thing to eliminate the the waste. And that's gonna be your recipe for success and do that until you're very good at it. And then go on further. I, I gotta steal a quote, I don't know who said it, but you guys remember uh, about 12 years ago when everything went south, somebody said, I made the best decisions I've ever made for my business just six months too late. And then I thought, well, that's pretty profound. And then we were given an opportunity, the industry through this pandemic, to quickly and efficiently make those changes at the right. And so I, to your point, Dan, I think that we've been given an incredible opportunity for adoption and it's almost a forced adoption. If not almost, it was, at least through video chat. <laughs> I mean, watching the uh, learning to walk of last year through video conferencing, but now it's seamless. I mean, we're all navigating this pretty well. So yeah, I wanted to add to Kira's point though, uh, hyper-focus uh, is a one key element of, of tech. Uh, solve one thing. Don't try to solve everything. I think that's a great segue into kind of, you know, what's next. And maybe, you know, from all the conversation that we've had today, it's really just using it to the best of our ability. But I'd love to hear from all you guys on kind of what's next or where it's going. And maybe it's just a refinement of the processes that we we already have. And, uh, you know, Frank, if you want to kick us off on on this one. Sure. Um, with the what's next, I was addressed by Matt Dieter on the comments, and he says, I'm very curious now, Francisco, our normal architecture firm that we work with almost constantly has always pushed away the BIM idea as being, as being very expensive. Can you explain the latest statement you made regarding BIM being faster and better for non-designers or dumb construction guys? So I'm guessing that, Matt, you're in the construction world, and you want me to explain um, how it's faster and it's better. Um, first of all, you're not drawing the building. I'm gonna to try to condense a, 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 I'm gonna get on the soapbox real quick and try to condense an hour's uh, message into five minutes. But basically, you're no longer drawing the building in uh, 2D and trying to represent with 2D views a building. Basically, if BIM is done properly, you are virtually constructing the building in a virtual environment to test if things are coordinated from mechanical, electrical, plumbing, all the other industries, structural and, and architecture. But even if you're not coordinating, even if you're in a silo drawing architecturally by yourself, that process, once you master the tool, is exponentially faster. If the growth from hand drawings to CAD was a foot, the jump from CAD to BIM is a mile because the CAD world was just a digital pencil. You can copy paste and it can expedite what you did, but the software itself had no idea. If you drew a door, you as a human knew that that block was a door but that door doesn't know it's a door. In the BIM environment, when you're drawing in Revit, for example, which is what the one that we commonly most use here, that door knows it's a door. Therefore, it can quantify itself. It's easier to find. You have the right one in the right place. And Revit itself, the name Revit, I, somebody told me there was revised instantly. So just even the everyday coordination of placing a detailed view 
from one section onto another sheet, that human coordination that has to happen every time to make sure that the detail one is detail two is all absorbed in this intelligence software. So I hope that that gives you some kind of light into it. And if Tahira, Nick, Heather wants to add into to help me answer Matt's question, that's what we see as a as a, what makes it easier and faster to do once you understand it. Absolutely. I very much echo that sentiment. Uh, you know, I'm in the software and design side of construction tech. Um, you know, BIM is, is exponentially faster uh, once you really master the tool and get outside of, uh, you know, two-dimensional lines. Um, Nick, I know that your time might be a little short here. Uh, where do you see the industry heading? Kind of what's, what's next in your eyes? Um, yes. Yeah, so I really see there's, this is my, I, like, I want to champion this message. When we talk about robotics, um, I think there's an industry kind of expectation that robotics will replace the human element. Oh, we're all going to be taking doom and gloom. Robotics is going to take our career. This robot dog from Boston Dynamics is going to do the work of 25 people. And I just, I would love to see, and is answering the question of where do I think it's going. Um, I would love to see the narrative shift because I believe, and I haven't been proven otherwise, that robotics is going to augment the professional, the trade professional. And robotics and smart tools are not going to replace, but make the individual have a longer career because perhaps it reduces impact on their body or keeps them more safe in an environment by watching out for them or lets them be more productive at their projects so that they can earn more, get home sooner. Whatever it is that our industry looks like going down the road, because we talk about community and it's gonna change what the expectation of a workday is. Um, maybe a workday looks a lot different than it does today. So I believe that robotics will not replace, but it will augment and, and impact the human element which is the most important aspect of construction. Uh, Takira made an excellent uh, point that I've done in a presentation. Go stand on the tallest building on any city and look out at your city. And look at the hospitals, the parks, the stadium, the houses, the road, street lights. Everything that's not dirt and trees was touched by to build that. There's not a single thing that wasn't. Humans created the environment we live in. And it's not going to go away. It's the most important factor. It's astonishing what we're able to accomplish. And I think we just, let's look at robotics not as a threat. Let's look at it as, as in a chance for us to become better builders. And that's where I think, I think that's where we're going to go with uh, robotics in the future. I absolutely agree with that um, on many, many fronts. Um, we're seeing, you know, not many people or not as many people go into construction as did in the past. And I think it's a great way to expand the longevity of many of the people in construction, reduce injury, um, you know, and probably speeding up construction is going to be a, a side benefit to it, but really just, you know, improving the livelihoods of everyone that's on a, on a job site on a, on a daily basis. And I think Heather, you'd probably be a good one to to follow Nick in you know what Martin Brothers is seeing um, for tech, you know whether that's robotics or uh, what's next for for you guys. 
Yeah, um, I mean, I agree wholeheartedly with Nick's point about robotics um, being a an addition to the human element, but I don't necessarily know if it's gonna be through robotics. I think it's gonna be uh, data. So at Martin Brothers, we try to collect data on every aspect of our, our craftsmen. And not from a privacy standpoint, but it's more from the worker longevity aspect of it. We wanna know like, are we kitting the material correctly? Is our workflow process in the you know, do our craftsmen need to work 10, 12 hours or can they complete all of their work in six hours and still make the same amount of money? Um, I never think we're going to be able to replace any of our craftsmen. I think they're by far our most intelligent and uh, best asset at our company. We've had a lot of our craftsmen. We've been around for 80 years. I think our average work for uh, working history is around 35 years, which is, is pretty insane across the board and um, they're our best asset. And so how do we make them be capable of working longer in, into their career? Um, and I think that a huge aspect of that is gonna be data collection. And so, you know, like Tahira, you work from Milwaukee, they have great data collection aspects of that. And we have um, our own internal ERP system to where we're able to find efficiencies all throughout um, our workflow. I will say another big thing that we're trying to really push for is using our BIM model and actually taking it out to the field. Um, you know, architects design in 3D, and then we take this 3D draw or this 3D model, we flatten it out to 2D, and then we end up like going out into out into the field and have these 2D plans to build in 3D. There's a huge disconnect. Like, why aren't we taking a 3D model out into space or out into the field? And building from a 3D model. So we're looking at whether it's 3D um, uh, augmented reality. And like we've actually been very fortunate to have augmented reality be able to play studs, doing quality control um, on healthcare projects, on any type of entertainment projects. And so I think that's gonna be a really big push for us over the next five years. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think just the amount of compute power, the amount of uh, ability to quickly and easily get data to a site and see a wall section, uh, let alone everything else uh, on on site is, you know, awesome. And then with 5G coming uh, to more and more places, the ability to get that, you know, full model streamed effectively to a job site is is a big piece of that. And to hear a you know, from from Nika's perspective and kind of everything that you're seeing, what's what's next? I, I would have to completely agree with uh, Heather's assessment. I think what's coming next is, again, we want to lay the foundation. You want to understand your workflow. You want to understand what you're doing. Start to collect information about it and use that data to drive decisions. That data-driven decisions is what allows you to be able to move into the future. And by being able to be intentional, that's where we're able to again, you cannot improve something if you are not able to measure it, whether it's, and, and this is, you know, you don't need machine learning. You don't need artificial intelligence. It can be as simple as a stopwatch. And again, it doesn't even have to be a physical stopwatch. You can use your watch. You can use an analog watch with a second hand. You can use your phone, but just understanding things like how many steps do my workers have to take to get somewhere? How efficiently are we using, you know, these rented tools on a job site uh, you know, Heather brought up a really good point because Milwaukee Tool has equipment that we've made that actually will tell you, you know, the usage information, give you statistics on how often or, you know, where your tools are at a given time. And so it's things like that. It's, 
you know, it's not necessarily changing the process of how we do work. It's about being more intelligent and aware about how the work is happening. And then when we talk about things, I think it's really important, and Nick hit on this, it's really important when we talk about eliminating waste. We're not talking about eliminating people. We're not talking about, you know, wasteful people. We're talking about putting people in positions of empowerment so there's less risk for them. You know, this is this is such a, uh, it has to be a risk-averse industry. So we have to look at things like, if, if you can have a remote-operated tool, it's not as though there won't be people operating the tool. It's therefore, you know, now you have a worker who can be cutting a live wire from 30 feet away via Bluetooth. So they're not actually in harm's way. Or when you do things like contact tracing, again, when you look at things like specific uh, people tracking or biometrics, there has to be that ROI. There has to be that ROI, whether it's safety, whether it's productivity, you know, there has to be some reason that your team buys into this. And then again, that goes back to the change culture. And so again, what I would encourage all of our listeners to, to really drive home is if you want these changes, if you want to be the best position your company can be in, you really have to look inwardly and understand what drives your motivation. Why are you there as a business? Why are you in this industry providing the services, providing the materials, providing what you provide? Because at the end of the day, the most valuable asset resource thing that the construction industry provides or creates is not the buildings. It's not the churches, the schools, the streets, the lights, the hospitals, even it's the people. It's the workers that have the knowledge. It's what they carry on and it's what they're able to do to continue to, to create these structures. And so it's, it's all about what do we do to empower these people to do the best job possible. And again, it comes back to eliminating the risk, eliminating the rework, you know, eliminating the waste and allowing them to be in positions of power, positions of decision-making, positions of autonomy. And so before you even get to, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the future where everything is just, you think about it and it happens, or you're visually uh, able to just work with the most complex BIM model, it goes back to what's the root cause that you put you here in this situation and what are you solving? What are the problems? What are you, how are you able to elevate your workforce through this, you know, this series of solutions? Beautifully said, like <laughs> it's beautifully said. And Dan, I don't know if you can, uh, you're, well, you're not going to top that, but uh, anything to, <laughs> to add to, to Hira and, you know, from especially being a, a subcontractor and, you know, now doing more prefab in uh, not only the people aspect, but just what you're obviously you're saying prefab <laughs> is next, but uh, kind of what's, what are those next steps for you? You know, my whole basis, right. Of like what we're doing um, in our companies is really around just to everybody's point thus far, how do we make people more effective? Really. And, you know, like we are seeing, we're, we're seeing a worker retirement ratio at, you know, three workers for every one that's coming into the construction industry. Right. So we have to really get that knowledge transfer down. That's where I really see data to Heather's point. Right. Coming into play because I'm just going to tie everybody's points together here. So I'm very much wrong with it. Uh, you know, it's like so we have to knowledge transfer down right from workers who have, we've relied on for so long and they have such an expertise. Right. 
I oftentimes think, though, that we have to be able to make the workers that we do have way more effective, which is where you're going to see, you know, it's the next point. Robotics come in. Right. And then the planning aspect to Frank's point. Right. On BIM, you know, you're going to see all these things come together. And it's not a matter of like trying to eliminate people. We're just trying to make people way more effective. We're trying to make them be what people are meant to do. You know, I'm a firm believer in people. People are meant to solve complex problems. You know, I don't think it's appropriate to have one of my folks out there chop sawing studs all day, right? Why do we need to do that? You know, why do we have, you know, people just doing tasks of, you know, custom fitting things that maybe don't, you know, some things obviously need to be custom fitted, but just, you know, doing mindless work, you know, it's just like, we don't need to do that. You know, we have other more effective, more efficient ways to be able to pull that off. And I think you're going to see all those different points, right? It's going to come together like Captain Planet. You know, when our powers combine, it's going to get crazy. And so, you know, you're going to see this continue to evolve over the next decade or two. And Frank, from the design and architecture standpoint, what do you see being next? I see being next uh, a little bit of what we said at the beginning, uh, immersion, just trying to experience it. I love Heather's comment of bringing the, the model with you on site. You have so much media, you have so many BIM tools now that you can explode a model. You can select a door in a plan and it shows it to you in 3D. So it's easy to locate. You know, there, there's uh, augmented reality where you can walk through a space, the camera is on, and, um, and now you can also kind of have an overlay of the model. So if the building is still exposed, you can see the finished product, or even if it's the finished product, you can see behind like an x-ray vision and where did the mechanical end up according to the design. Hopefully someone is as building the model as it's going through that process. But there's so many tools we have at hand. It's almost like a sea of them and it's hard to not get lost and, you know, it's sidetracked or chase a waterfall. But I, I think like if we come together, like Dan said, like Captain Planet and make sure you're being effective. A lot of people fear this technology. A lot of the architects, like Matt mentioned in the comments, probably fear it. But it, I, I love all the comments from Glenn Walson. Thank you, Glenn, for uh, all the things you've been mentioning there. I agree with them. If things are used properly, people are, a lot of people are fearing, uh, I think that's what Nick was going after with robotics, that a lot of people are afraid, like, are these going to take our jobs? You're going to take our jobs. And the, no, it's going to, you need to be retrained so that. This job is not the job you're doing. What we talked about, Dylan, in our first conversation uh, prior was basically that I have two daughters and I'm sure that the jobs they will have when they finish college don't exist today. Or at least I hope that as humanity, we've moved on to something. And if somebody today is fearful of your company buying a technology and you're fearful of your job because of it, that should be some, some retro analyzation. Like, I'm pretty sure that the guys who used to draw by hand saw their company brought, bring a plotter in and said, oh, my God, you know, which one of us is going to go now? All my LIDAR skill, all my skills with, you know, with these pens is going to go away. As to where I would have been the guy saying, let me learn everything I can about this plotter because I'm going to secure my job by moving on to the next step in, in, in the cycle of so if you are right now sitting somewhere worrying about your job because they're going to buy a robot, then you become the guy that programs a robot. Or you become, and how can you augment your capabilities with that robot and not the other way around? People in the CAD world were scared of BIM because 
I no longer need to draw these five elevations. This guy's going to push a button and do them. And you move on to being the best in that big world. And tomorrow, today has been, is tomorrow something else. We have augmented reality. We have uh, artificial intelligence. Instead of laying out parking lots, we used to now, now you can just drop a building in and move it around with a dial and all the parking counts change automatically. So we should, that it's going to free us, like Dan said, to be more creative. Why should I sit there in the minutia of copying a parking space over and over when I can be thinking about the aesthetics of the building? So think about technology as your friend, embrace it and use it to your advantage. That's what I hope the future will be because that way it's limitless. That way our profession doesn't stop because technology, artificial intelligence took over, but we're in control of it and we're leveraging it for our benefit. Well said. And thank you all of our panelists for being here today. I think this has been a fantastic conversation. Obviously in everything that we've talked about, we've only kind of scratched the, scratched the surface in you know, what you can do with technology and some of the abilities that technology has to help benefit us uh, moving forward, right? Whether that's knowledge transfer, whether that's putting drawings together better, whether that's a better communication in the field or, you know, removing some of the tedious tasks that we have. So, you know, whatever it is for you, there's tons of opportunity within technology, within the construction industry. And, you know, for everybody that, that joined in um, again, for all of this, you can uh, reach out to our, our panelists. You know, we're across all industries. I think this was a, a great panel and a great combination of experience, industry knowledge uh, from multiple different facets. Um, any, any last words? Anybody? Thank you. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for putting right. this video on. Thanks. Great meeting you all. <laughs> and with that, guys, uh, Go ahead, reach out to our panelists. This will be up uh, and available. And uh, thank you all for the comments. And we'll be sure to do more of these roundtables moving forward. I uh, really enjoyed these, and I hope you guys did too. So we'll see you all later. Take care. Thanks. All right. Hello, and welcome to this special episode of the Construction Corner Podcast. This was a roundtable uh, that I hosted, Dylan. Um, week and a half ago, live on LinkedIn. So there's going to be a ton of people in here. Uh, Matt did not join us for this roundtable. We're going to do plenty in the future. So you're going to tune into basically a bunch of people across the industry from subcontractors to architects to um, industry folks, basically everybody across the industry. It's a really great conversation and talking a lot of tech um, and just really construction in general. So please enjoy this roundtable conversation uh, that was previously done live on LinkedIn and enjoy.